Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, over the these next few weeks, and this is now our second week into the series, we're doing, we do, you know, we like to do a number of series uh, throughout the year to kind of just build some particular themes into our into the church. And uh, right now, we're, our series is entitled Contrast Community. Contrast Community. I, I love the term. I didn't come up to. Uh, I didn't come up with it. I wish I had. Uh, but I love the term. It's actually it's actually a pastor in New York City by the name of Tim Keller. Some of you might have heard the name of Tim Keller. He pastors a church called Redeemer Church. It's quite a, an effective. It's done a great job in um, in um, reaching people in New York City. Uh, but he came up with the, to- the term, coined the term contrast community. And the idea behind the term contrast community is, is this whole idea uh, that how easy it is for us as individuals and believers to accept cultural norms of our society without even thinking about them. We, we, just, we just, you know, and the reality is it's very simple because we, sp- we spend at least six days of the week in our community and with people who don't necessarily share the same belief system and the same uh, um, God as we do. And so it's easy to pick up those cultural things and not even realize that we are conforming to the culture rather than to the context that Jesus intends us to be in, to the contrast community. And it's pretty easy to do that. And and I would say, I, I don't know a church that doesn't have some of the culture of the community around them in it. And it should. It should. There are certainly parts of our culture, our community, that, that are really valuable and, and actually represent Jesus Christ. And some, some people call those um, uh, cultural graces that the world actually shares with the church. But there are also some things that, that unknowingly we kind of become part of that are not intended to be in church. And in that case, we're intended to be a contrast community, demonstrating things that are actually in contrast to what the rest of the world around us has. And uh, I, I, uh, I want to, today, my, my particular um, cultural thing that I kind of want to talk about is, I, I don't know if any of you have heard these terms in the last few years. Um, maybe you've heard tribalism or populism. Uh, maybe uh, maybe you've heard the term partisanship. Anybody heard that? Buzzwords? An- anti, anti-globalism, anti-immigration. Um, stronger borders. Build a wall. Anyway, just uh, you know, a few things we might have heard. Um, racism. Us versus them. Critical theory. Any, any, any of those ring a bell? You know, we've heard those. We've heard those, but they all actually come back to one particular thought, and uh, they're all very similar expressions of one root idea, and that root idea is me first. Me first. And what I want to particularly just kind of talk around, one of those buzzwords, but I believe they all kind of encapsulate the same thing, is this, is this world, word tribalism. Tribalism. And uh, somebody defined the word tribalism as the attitude and practice of harboring such a strong feeling of loyalty or bonds 
to one's tribe that one excludes or even demonizes those others who do not belong to that group. Does that sound like anything we've seen in our world? Right, tribalism. Tribalism. Does that sound like anything we've seen in church the last few years? Still tribalism. Now, what I want to say today, and I want to, we're going to look at the scripture today, but the church is intended to be a contrast to a cultural value of tribalism. The church was never intended to be tribalistic. I know we have denominations. I know we have differences, but God never intended for the church to become a bunch of different tribes. In the sense that, in the in the sense of tribalism, in which in, in which we begin to demonize others, us versus them, they're like that. They're this way. We're not that way. But yet, it's pretty easy to pick that up, huh? Okay, it's a pretty easy thing to pick up. So, where did it start? Well, let's let's see where tribalism kind of started, and let's go to Genesis. Uh, this is a good place to look for tribalism in the world. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, it says, and this is the story of Cain and Abel. Afterwards, after Abel had been killed, afterward the Lord asked Cain, where's, my, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Here, right there is the very seed and the root of where tribalism comes from. I'm not responsible for anybody but myself. I don't look after anybody but myself. It's up to them, not up to me. This beginning of a separation, it seeds right in there. The, uh, I, I love the fact, I, I absolutely love the fact that the church, in contrast to tribalism, is full of diversity, or should be full of diversity. Last Sunday morning, I preached this message for the first time, and it just happened to be in Kelowna, and as I looked out on the uh, on that particular Sunday, it's not the same every Sunday, but as I looked out that particular Sunday, I recognized that it was probably about a third of the people in the group had not been born in Canada, nor was English their first language. And I just went through, uh, and, as I, and as I looked before that, I, I decided I would just greet them each the best way I could in their own language. So we had Marhava, because we have a Syrian family who moved from Syria, or moved from, actually, they moved from uh, um, uh, Saudi Arabia to Canada and part of the church. And their faces lit up because they're part of this church. So another family there, and I said, buenos dias. No, yes, of course, because they're Spanish-speaking, and, of course, Gene and David will be here this morning, others. Welcome in, because we have some German, originally speaking German people. It's not, just, it's not just the ethnicities we think about, but God also included Europeans in the church. <laughs> Namaste, young Christian woman from Nepal in the church. Kosh Amadid, which is Persian, Farsi, for welcome. See, that's what the church sounds like. If, if you... If you, I'm, I'm just going to jump around just a little bit, but if, if, you, if you look at this verse in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, at the beginning in Genesis, it started, this seed came in that started to separate and, and have us thinking about us first, not them, us versus them, me before thee, the title of my message, me before thee. 
if we begin to think about that. But here at the end of the Bible, kind of the end of the story, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hand. From every nation, every tribe, every language, that is a picture of a contrasting community all worshiping God together. That's what it's intended to be. So here's the big plot. Here, here was God, when God created the earth, and when God came and redeemed us, here, here was the big plot. This is what, what John writes in John chapter 3, verse 16, if anybody's heard that verse before. It says, for God so loved the world. Not just a tribe, not just North America, not just C3 Church, not just English-speaking, not just Spanish-speaking, not just Chinese, not just, but the world. And so he gave his son out of the love for a whole world. Church is intended to represent the whole world. The whole world is a lot messier than we once thought it was. We're dealing with all sorts of stuff that we didn't think we'd ever have to deal with. We're dealing with all sorts of differences that we didn't even think were possible. And yet the church is intended to be made up of all of that. I was listening to an interview on a podcast. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I happen to be listening to this one. It's, uh, it's called Framework Leadership. The, the um, uh, host is a guy by the name of Kent Ingalls. And uh, he was interviewing a woman whose name is Alveda King, Dr. Alveda King. She, you might recognize the last name. She just happens to be the niece of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Really interesting podcast. She was talking about how she was just finishing at 72 years of age. In a few days, she was going to be receiving her PhD, her second doctorate at 72. Uh, well, I still have time. And uh, she's, she's, she was talking about her doctorate because she said, she said, I got partway through my doctorate and I was going to do things. And then all this stuff started exploding in the world. And she said, and, and of course, Dr. Alveda King is African-American. And, and uh, she, uh, she said, you know, people are talking about critical race. And she said, I asked my professor, can I do my doctorate on critical race? And then she said something that just really struck me. She said, because I have a real conviction of that, I, 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 because she said, I believe in the one blood human race of Acts chapter 27, or Acts chapter 17, verse 26. The one blood human race. You know, I never heard anybody put it quite that way before, but the truth is we are one blood. Acts chapter, six, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. For one man created all the nations through the whole earth. It's never been us versus them. It's always been us. Tribalism has been a tool that has infiltrated the culture and in many ways infiltrated the church, but we're intended to say, no, we're, as a contrasting community, we're different from that. We will not go the path of tribalism. We won't go there because that doesn't represent who God created us to be. One blood human race. Paul writes to Galatians and describing how the barriers between our differences 
have been taken down through Jesus Christ. And he says, for you are in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, 29, he says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and all who have been united with Christ in baptism and put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. That's a race thing. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for you are, <laughs> careful how you interpret that one. <laughs> Just saying. Yet it's one of the things we wrestle with. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and now that you belong to God, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So Jesus comes and breaks those barriers down. So here's what happens. Differences in the world create, okay, differences in the culture around us naturally create divisions. That is the natural course of differences. It becomes natural. So let me, how do we put it this way? It's very natural for somebody who moves from Mexico, moves to Revelstoke, it is very natural for them to seek out people who are similar to them and, and please understand, I, I'm not using them as a uh, negative. They, they, they gather, we gather together with those who are similar to us. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, if you move to, <laughs> I imagine, John, when you were in Africa, most of the expats hung out together as opposed to integrating Right? It's because, and this view, because we speak the same language, and it's difficult to not speak the same language. That's why the beautiful expression of the birth of the church comes in many languages spoken. Pentecost is not just about speaking tongues. Pentecost isn't speaking in a whole lot of tongues that people understood. Right? That's the beauty of it. And so it's natural to do that. That's natural. But when we naturally do that, in, in the world, the differences tend to set up divisions. They're taking over our jobs. How come every gas station is owned by a Sikh? <laughs> right? Doesn't anybody speak English anymore here? I mean, you've heard those things. Cringe when we say them in church. Probably some of you want. But yet, those are the things because it produces division in the world. Whereas, in differences in a contrast community don't produce division, they produce, creates completeness. Let me give you an example. Husband and wife, when they concentrate on their differences, it produces division. Right? When a husband and wife recognize their distinctiveness, they work towards completeness. So we hear this beautifully romantic, uh, you know, you can, you can say you heard this from me and you can use it, guys, February 14th. You complete me. <laughs> because it's true. Okay? So the, so the same, in the same sense, the church is intended to be, by God's design, is intended to be a place where our differences don't divide us, they complete us, because I don't have the whole picture and neither do you. 
And together, we walk in the same direction, despite having differences of opinion, differences of background, differences of, of all sorts of things. Here's how, here's how um, Paul, again, he, he describes this. He says this, uh, um, that we're to be other-focused. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So when we're not, okay, think about the implications of this. When we're not actually seeing somebody else's burden, when we're not trying to carry that one, we're not trying to help complete that for them, because when they're carrying a burden, they don't have enough strength to carry it all. Maybe they need a gifting, they need a different, they need input, they need whatever it is. When we're not helping with that, we're actually disobeying, we're not following the law of Christ, we're disobeying Christ. When we say them, you got yourself into this situation, you get out of it. Let me talk, you know, I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of the Samaritans, you know, the, you know, the good, good Samaritan story? I mean, have you read that story before? You should have never been walking alone in a place where you know there's thieves. <laughs> I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's pretty plain in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan is, you know, this guy, I mean, he knew there were robbers on the road. Why did he go there? Carry all that money so he could be stolen from. You shouldn't have carried that money in your wallet like that. Not everybody's as smart as you, believe it or not. Hmm? <laughs> in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, Paul, Paul writes, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. I hate that verse. Because it's, it, it, it just doesn't seem right. Like, uh, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See, here right there is, is where Paul begins to say, hey, see, you know what? We can get very focused on ourselves. Remember, the, the root of all this is me first. Me first. And when we get that root, it's me first, then it's them second. And Paul says, that's not the way we live. That is not what it looks like in the, this contrast community that we call a church. It's I look out at other people and I go, how can I help? What can I do? How, how, how do they benefit my life? How do I benefit their life? There's a, there's a thing there. I, you know, I, I have, uh, I just say this, this is a, kind of as an aside, for years I've had a, a, you know, a life goal that I wanted to preach in Spanish. That was one of my goals. I, I practice Spanish every day. I've been doing it for years in order to preach in Spanish. I assumed I would be preaching Spanish in Cuba. I didn't think that it would have been the last time I was here that I would be preaching in Spanish and English together. It just wasn't on my radar that it would be Revelstoke. But you cannot believe how excited I am when I see that diversity in our church. So it's only two people. It's only two people now. But we grow into a representation. These, uh, uh, Gene, and da- Gene and David aren't here today, but uh, I, I told them we were, when we had our Christmas party over Jess's before Christmas, and we were talking, and, and David said to me, he said, he said I, I have a coworker, Andrea. She's a Christian, and I've invited her to church, but she says, I can't, I, I don't, she doesn't speak English. She said, I won't understand anything. I don't want to come. He says, but, he, and of course, she doesn't speak a lot of English. She's getting more and more. But she, he said, he said, but when you come to church, he says, come with me. He said, because you feel something. Transcends the language barrier. 
But having said that, next time I'm here, Gene is going to translate into Spanish, and I've told them in advance so they can invite all their Spanish friends, because they said, there's 40 people from Columbia that live in Revelstoke. We get together, we have a Facebook group. Who knew? Okay, that's not 40 Spanish-speaking. That's just 40 from Colombia. Can you imagine how many Spanish-speaking, Filipino-speaking? Elizabeth, I don't know if you know Elizabeth is over at Home Hardware. Have you met Elizabeth? She's at Home Hardware. She's usually at the test when you go out. She's from the Philippines. First time I saw Elizabeth there as I walked out the door and she handed me something. I said, Salamat. She looked at me because it's thank you and Tagala. Every time I go in, I get the biggest smile from Elizabeth. But see, that's what church should look like. Not just languages, though. It's not just languages. It's, it's expressions. It's understanding. As we were praying yesterday, I was really conscious of the fact, like we were, those of you that were here for prayer meeting yesterday, I was really conscious of the fact that, that I wanted people to pray who are male and female and young and old. Because that represents a church. That represents a contrast community. Do we have more in common? Do I, do I have more in common with older, uh, I didn't just say that, but older white males? Yes. But I celebrate and, and, and uh, we celebrate every diversity within the body of Christ because that what's, that's what makes the body of Christ complete. Complete. Now, I mean, you know, so that we, we, we do that, right? You know, when I look at Philippians chapter 2, 3 to 4, just, I had a note here. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And I wrote a note. I said, this isn't socialism nor is it capitalism. It happens to just be Christianity. I'm actually getting tired of being told I'm a socialist or a capitalist for that matter. I happen to be a Christian. And my guidebook says that we look out for other people's interests, but we also work to make sure we get enough to feed our families. And if we're not, we're worse than people that aren't in the community of Christ. It's not one or the other. I can't help everybody, but I can't, I can't support everyone, but I can't reject anyone. Right. So listen, here, just two thoughts. Just before I finish up, and I know I should be done, but I just have two thoughts. How do we do that? I, I kind of tried to paint a picture and say, hey, this is what church should look like. This is what the, how we ought to contrast from the community. We're not, we're not here. You know, I, I said... You know, I've said before, in our church and maybe across the whole church, it's not always the case, you know, three or four people, but, you know, we should have people who voted liberal. We should have people who voted conservative. We probably should have people who voted People's Party of Canada. We should have people who voted green. Because if you're not welcome to be in the same room here, what kind of contrast community are we? Right? We should have people with all sorts of different opinions about what COVID was and pandemic was. And that's good. That's not bad. Because that completes us. It should never divide us. I know that's easy to say in theory because sometimes we'll have conversations together and we feel very passionate about our view. Be passionate about your view. 
That's what Paul says in Romans. He says, be thoroughly convicted and thoroughly convinced. But we still get up and walk in the same direction with Jesus. That's contrast. Okay? I'm not talking about cancel culture today, but the consequence of differences that divide is something called cancel culture. Church doesn't have a cancel culture. I'm not going to talk about that today, but church doesn't have a cancel culture. It has a grace culture. Which means that I'm not the same person I used to be, and even if I was, God's gracious. Right? I know I'm preaching, preaching the choirs to say. Here's, here's, how do we do this? Two, two things I want to just bring out. First is this, is do not tolerate tribalism. Have you ever been in one of those arcade, uh, you know, I know we know I'm here, but um, actually I don't remember the last time I've seen what they call whack-a-mole. Have you ever played one of those whack-a-mole games? You know, it's just, you get this big club and, you know, it's all these little holes and the, I guess, I'm assuming it's a mole. You know, it's jumping out. Don't see it fast. You know. We need to play whack-a-mole when a tribalistic attitude comes in our heart. It happened, it, it happened right when the church began. It, it, it wasn't, it's not like we haven't been fighting this for years. It happened right to begin with. In, in, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1, I said, I'll read the whole thing because it's valuable. He's, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumbling of discontent. <laughs> the Greek-speaking, there we go, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. Doesn't it sound like tribalism to you? It's right there. Saying their widows were being discriminated against. That sounds like a really common current word. In the daily distribution of food. Uh, not only was it discrimination, it was systemic. <laughs> Critical race theory. There's systemic discrimination in the church. So, the 12th, the apostles, called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit of the wisdom. We give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following, Stephen, a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, it probably never used to say Timon until I watched, uh, you know, what that show was, Tim, Timon, uh, Par, Par, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them, so God's ministry continued to spread. Number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. Many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Lots of times we read that, read that passage, and people go, hey, this is, a, this is kind of a leadership passage. This is like staying in your lane and operating in your gifting. And it is. But don't miss the underlying, the underlying principle here. When tribalism raises its head, don't let it live. This wasn't, yeah, this was the apostles saying, hey, we should be praying and reading, which is why we've got the wisdom enough to put seven guys in place to do what? To stamp down tribalism. Say, no, we're one. We're taking care of this as, as an entire church. We're not just going to, okay, fine, you know, let's the Jews take care of their own, and the Greek, or the Hebrew speaking take care of their own, and the Greek speaking take care of their own. That could have been a solution. That would have been tribalism. We said, no, we're not going to do that. We're one church. We're going to demonstrate something here that doesn't happen anywhere else. See, the thing is, 
Greek and, and Hebrew-speaking Jews were in conflict outside of the church. This wasn't a new thing. This was a cultural thing. See, if you were a Greek-speaking Jew, you'd it kind of accepted the culture because the culture was primarily Greek-speaking. And you'd stepped in and said, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm, I've you know, assimilated, I've become part of that. If you're a Hebrew, you're a little more holy. I'm Hebrew-speaking. I, 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 I didn't learn Greek because you know, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew. And there was a lot of that, because primarily the, Jewish, the uh, Hellenistic culture had not um, found real root in, in the Jews. But it was more than just a speaking thing. It was an attitude thing. It was a whole lot of things. And so when they came together, it was like, this is going to destroy the church. Possibly not. No, not going to happen. That's not who we're going to be. We're not going to reflect the community. We're going to reflect Christ. Right? And so when they did that, they, they began to do it. So first thing is when you feel, when you see, when you hear, when you sense that tribalism, whack the mole. <laughs> whack that mole. Because it just pops up. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I find it pops up in my life with far too alarming frequency. Usually after I've listened to somebody in my world talk about why this is this is wrong and we should do this and we should do that, and I go, yeah, you're right. And then I go to church and go, yeah, but they think something, oh, yeah, they're wrong. And I go, you know, you know one of, uh, can I say this? One, one of the most constant prayers I pray about people when I'm praying is God, Remind me they're not my enemy. When I'm praying about people in church, I, I, I'm just I'm being completely vulnerable right at this moment. As long as I'm praying about people in church, and I, we've had a conversation, and I'm angry with them, and they're angry with me. We have difference of opinion. We have whatever it might be, and I'm praying because that's the only way you work, work through things. You pray through things. I'm saying, God, I'm. They're not my enemy. <laughs> that's another sermon whole another sermon right? not my enemy they're not my enemy there's no longer Jew, Gentile, Greek Roman liberal, conservative male, female nationality, ethnic European, North American all that in Christ And the second thing, just as I close this, I genuinely going to close with this. I didn't say it before, so. In Luke chapter 10, verse 29, it's the Good Samaritan story. Or it's the introduction to the Good Samaritan story. Guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, what's the most important thing to do? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. But love your neighbor as yourself. And immediately justification comes up. Right? Happens all the time. Uh, you, like me, have probably justified whether I should apologize, whether I should help based on, well, who's my neighbor? Um, I really have to do that. I mean, they kind of got into the situations. I mean, but they're totally wrong. They, you know, I looked at the Bible. They should have apologized first. You know, all that stuff, right? 
That's what was going on with this Pharisee. He, he genuinely wanted to follow God, but he was very human and saying, hey, who's my neighbor? Luke 10, 29, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus just screwed up the whole guy's whole theology by giving him this pattern of the very person who shouldn't have been a neighbor was a neighbor. Went right across, in this case, religious and cultural lines in ways that were just very, in some ways, very confrontational to this man. Yeah, that's it. So, two things that we do. We don't tolerate it when it comes up, and we don't let ourselves justify inaction. Yeah, but you know, they think this. They are, have done, they do. That's just justification. Jesus didn't think that about you when he was on the cross. Just saying. I, I think, you know, and we're going to pray in just a sec here. I, I just, you know, I think a lot of times we just have to come to God and just say, God, you know, uh, would you look at my heart? There's been a lot of times when I've been doing this. Because here's, and this is what I really want us to kind of understand as we talk about the whole contrast culture is, is it's just so easy to become part of us and not realize it's not intended to be in the church. That we're, that we're to be different that way. Yeah. We're not partisanship. We're not populists. We're not tribalists. We're not anti-immigration, anti-globalism because we're for what Jesus is for the whole world. And when we kind of find ourselves sliding away from that, we just, we repent, we move back. It's okay, God. Here I am. Here I am. Right. So we're going to pray. I'm just going to ask that God just speak to us. And, and uh, okay. Because uh, you're not whacking the person, because I'm not asking you to whack the mole on anybody else. Yeah, just yourself. Okay, sorry. Let me, let me, thanks. Good. Glad you asked that. I'm not, I'm not asking, I'm not saying, hey, whack the mole, the other person. I'm talking about when, I'm talking about when we see this coming up in ourselves. Because what we do is this, is we, then we get judgy on the other person. Now, look what they did. But we don't know where they're coming from. And right then what we do is we separate. Bang. Got to whack that mold on me. But we're just going to ask God just to talk to us today. Father, spy heads with me. Father, right now I, I ask, God, we want so much to look different in every way. And there's so many ways in which, as a church community, we, we ought to look different than the world. And, and, you know, this is just one. So many, I know that. But God, in this way, that we would look different we would be strong, confident, have opinions. We'd be full of life and diversity. God, that more and more we'd, we'd look like a, a representation of that church gathered around the throne room in heaven, worshiping you from every tribe, every nation, every 
language, male, female, young and old. Not diversity for diversity's sake, but diversity for completeness' sake. But God, I, Holy Spirit, just in this in these, this moment, God, I, I ask that you would speak to us about ourselves personally. Times when we've let ourselves be more aligned with the world's value than your value. God, that we would repent and God, forgive us. I know your grace is sufficient. Just help us as we move forward, we become more and more conformed to your image. More and more the church that you saw and that you see. God, thanks for your forgiveness and your grace to go forward and become who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.